of heights to the depths of the sea. David is toward the end of his life, and he only lives 70 years. Okay, 70 is not really that big of a deal today. Um, but back then, they didn't have all of the, the things that we have today to kind of pump us up and, 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 and get us going again. And David was aged. And probably with the years of warfare, certainly the sin in his life, that he, and, and the wars within his own family, the difficulty in his reign, um, all of those things put lines on your face. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. This was the twilight of a glorious reign. David was now so old that he couldn't even keep himself warm, much less rule the nation. David was about 70 years at this time. He seemed even older than his years, but for David, it wasn't just the years, it was the mileage. He seemed to live the life of four or five men in his lifetime. Although David was one of the most notable kings of Israel's history, his life was filled with trouble and sin. However, he never failed to look to God, no matter what. God referred to David as a man after his own heart. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. First book of Kings. You know, we've been through First and Second Samuel, and it... Uh... It's been quite the blessing just to see the how the Lord gave to Israel their first king. And it was something they desired. God didn't want that for them. He was very much content with it being a theocracy, that he would just speak to them and they would obey. And it seemed to be going pretty well. But as normally the case with humans, because we are sinful... And all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, unfortunately, but that is the truth. We always want something different. We're not content with being governed by God. And so God allows sometimes for us to get what we ask for. And there are repercussions, there are consequences for those things. And we saw that with Saul, the first king, and then finally through David and David's life and and just the ups and downs, the, the great valleys, the great heights that David went in his reign, and the many mistakes that he made. And if you're, uh, um, hopefully you're of the same heart as, as myself, I learned so much going through Samuel and just seeing the life of David and Saul and certainly Samuel. Learned a great deal about the nature of man, and I also learned about God's character a lot more. And this evening, as we begin Kings, it, it, it really continues with the beginning, or the ending, excuse me. The book begins with the ending of David's life. And it's really a continuation of Samuel. And in fact, First and Second Kings were originally one book, simply called Kings in the Hebrew text. And it's also called, 
At one point, it was actually divided into four books, actually. They, they, you know, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 3 Kings, and 4 Kings. And, and that was Samuel. First and 2 Samuel were originally named 1 and 2 Kings. And then 3 Kings was what we're, called, what we're looking at as uh, 1 Kings tonight. And then 4 Kings, obviously, being 2 so that that's just uh, it's been divided over over the years and really not a big deal. It's just a, a division, and in fact, in the Septuagint, if you remember, is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was written uh, the Septuagint was written around the second or uh, second and third century BC. They divided the book uh, these seventy elders who transcribed uh, the scriptures from their original language. Uh, it used to be, they divided the book of Kings in two, because it was originally one. And from then, uh, going on into the 4th uh, or the 5th century B, um, AD, when Jerome uh, translated the scriptures into Latin, and we know that to be the Latin Vulgate. And really from then onward, all of our English translations have just divided it into First and Second Kings. And so... Um, as far as the author is concerned of this book, it is really somewhat of a mystery. Uh, many people think that Jeremiah wrote most of the book, but we know at the end of, Jer- at the end of um, Kings, we find that uh, Jeremiah gets sent off to Egypt, and there's some speculation that he actually finished it. Um, somebody else may have finished it, but the general consensus is uh, may have been Jeremiah, could have been anonymous. It really doesn't matter. A prophet probably of some kind uh, wrote this and compiled all of this information of the kings into First and Second Kings. And it was written to the Jews of the captivity and the dispersion. Because this book, we believe, was written around 561 to 538 B.C. in Babylon. In Babylon. So, as the children of Israel were in Babylon, a prophet, a holy man of God, decided to write the history of the kings. And he had some sources with him, evidently, to compile this information and put it into two books. And, or it was originally one, like I said. But it was, it was for a purpose, to encourage those who are in captivity that, you know, God is a, he's serious about sin. And by writing these, this chronicle, if you will, of the kings, there's really, it's kind of depressing, actually. You would think that it would get better and better, but actually, the truth of the matter is, in the, in the northern kingdom, after Solomon, which, you know, we're going to be talking about the end of David's life, and then Solomon's life and his reign, but right at the end of Solomon's reign, we know that the, the monarchy, which it had been up until that point, it splits now from uh, Jeroboam leading the ten tribes in the north, and Rehoboam leading the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, in the south. And from that moment onward, it just got worse and worse and worse. And all the kings in the northern kingdom were evil. Every single one of them. They followed after their father, Jeroboam, who introduced them to idolatry. And remember, he set up the golden calf in Bethel and also in Dan. And if you go to Israel with us next, not this March, but the following March, hopefully, Lord willing, you visit the, you visit the place in Dan where that altar was, where they had the golden calf. You, you're there. You actually see it. And so that's really uh, interesting to, to do. But it never got any better. All the northern kings, all of them, were evil. 
following after their idolatrous practices of Jeroboam. And even in the southern kingdom, you'd think that the center being Jerusalem, that they would be much, much better. But there were only a handful of kings that were really good, and the rest of them were evil, just uh, just like their neighbors in the north. And so only a handful of kings that were really good. And they, we call them reformer kings, people like Josiah. And they were reformer kings, trying to get Israel back into shape again, trying to get them back to focus on their God again. And so this, uh, these two books really comprise about 400 years of history, from the time of Solomon all the way down till the captivity of the northern kingdom, which we will call Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which we'll call Judah. Because um, the, the northern kingdom was led into captivity first in 722 B.C., and you'd think that that would get the southern kingdom's attention, that God's serious about sin, but they didn't really engage, and God sent prophets to the northern kingdom and to the southern kingdom. All throughout kings here, we're going to see God also speaking to them and warning them through these prophets of impending judgment if they don't turn from their wickedness. And ultimately, we know that the northern kingdom did go into captivity. The Assyrians in 722 B.C., and then finally, not getting the hint, not obeying, the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they get led into captivity 170, 150 years or so later by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And they would remain in Babylon for 70 years. And so what we're looking at tonight is a history of those kings beginning at the end of David's life through Solomon's kingdom, through Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and then just the carnage of everything after that. And all along, God is trying to, you know, knocking on the door of their hearts and trying to get them to turn from their wickedness. But isn't it kind of disturbing? You know, you, you know I think one, one thing you could say about this, these two books is, if you were to sum it up, you could sum it up in different ways, but one verse that comes to my mind is, for the wages of sin is death. <laughs> for the wages of sin is death. Because I never really learned. And another thing that it reminds me of is a quote, and I think it was George Santayana, I believe. He said, what man has learned from history is that man has learned nothing from history. And they don't. We don't learn from history. We, we're, we, have, very, we have amnesia. You, you, even in our country, we, we forget a couple of years where everything's going well, and we've forgotten the pain of the past. And it's just the way we are. And so, let's go ahead and read it. We're going to look at chapter 1 this, uh, this evening, but notice what it says. It says, now King David, so Samuel, 2 Samuel ended with David taking a census, remember, and God judging the nation for it, and allowing 70,000 men of Judah to be killed and so now David is toward the end of his life. And he only lives 70 years. Okay, 70 is not really that big of a deal today. Um, but back then, they didn't have all of the, the things that we have today to kind of pump us up and, 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 and get us going again. And David was aged. And probably with the years of warfare, certainly the sin in his life, that he, and, and the wars within his own family, the difficulty in his reign, um, all of those things put lines on your face. Have you ever noticed somebody like that? You, you know, somebody who's lived a life of, 
and, and I'm not saying that David was, the, he, you know, he had his moments, of course, but he was also a great man, there's no doubt. But there's something about a person who has given themselves over to sin in a sinful lifestyle. They age much quicker than somebody who is living a pure life. You know, sometimes you look at somebody and they're only 50 years old or 60 years old and they look much, much older than they really are. It's be, and a lot of times, a lot of times, sometimes, it's because they've lived a hard life. You know, they've just lived a sinful life. They've been through the ringer. They spent a lot of nights waking up at night, you know, a lot, you know, not being able to sleep. They've spent a lot of times worrying. They've spent a lot of times waking up in somebody else's bedroom, you know, because of their lifestyle. And, and it just, it does, it, it, it takes a toll on the body when you live a life of sin. I'm not saying that David was that man because he was a forgiven man. God had done great things, but, um, but that can be true as well, you know, when we get older. But praise God, you know, just to live a life of purity is such a wonderful thing. Because as you get older, people say, how old are you? And you could say, well, I'm 60. And they're like, really? You look like you're 45. And then you can say, well, it's the, um, you know, the uh, oil of Olay that I put on. It can help you look younger too, you know. Uh, no, but it's, it's the life walking in the spirit, you know. And you, you sleep well, you've got a healthy heart and a mind. But anyway, let's read this, because it starts off with David, really, in, on his, at very age, pretty much bedridden. It says, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. And therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought out for our lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom. That the Lord our King may be warm. And so they sought a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. And the young woman was very lovely. You know, it mentioned that, by the way, twice so far. Do you notice that? In verse 2, or verse, uh, verse two and verse 3, she was very lovely. A very lovely young woman <laughs> throughout all the territory. And they found her. And then finally in verse 4, the young woman was very lovely and she cared for the king and she served him. But the king did not know her. That's just the Bible's way of saying he didn't have physical intimacy with her. David at this point was an old man and he, you know, it was just a different stage in life. But for some reason he just couldn't keep his body temperature you know, warm. And so, and, and this kind of thing sounds a little foreign to us, but this was a medical custom of the day, is for this kind of thing to happen. In fact, Josephus, a Jewish historian, said uh, that this was a therapeutic practice which continued on even into the Middle Ages for a king to have a young virgin, you know, an old man, to kind of care for him, you know, get his, his pills and you know, and I mean, he didn't have pills back then, but, you know, to do those things and just care for him, you know, take care of him. And then at night when he's cold, she would just kind of bundle up with him. Uh, but, but there was no intimacy whatsoever. And I think by now David would have learned a lesson anyway. He had, but it was a custom back at this time. And so notice, then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. You might want to underline, exalted himself, and underline, I will be king. Because he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. 
Adonijah. Who is this guy, Adonijah? Uh, you might want to put in the margin of your Bible right there by his name. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Let me just read it to you for time's sake. Because we want to find out who this son of David is. In 2 Samuel 3 it says, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And then in verse 2 it says, And unto David were born sons in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon. Amnon. And we, we looked at him, remember? He was the firstborn son who had raped um, his half-sister Tamar, remember? And actually, this half-sister Tamar was actually Absalom's real sister. Because these, these young men of David's were each born from a different mother. But Tamar and uh, Absalom were born from the same mother. So when Amnon raped her, ultimately Absalom killed uh, Amnon. And so David's now missing another son. And then it goes on and it says... Uh, he was from, uh, Amnon was from Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, that was the woman's name. And his second, his second son was Chiliab, or Daniel, of Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. Not much is, not much is known of him. They, many believe he died at a very early age. So he wasn't a contender in this whole thing. But notice that the third son, Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur, he was the third son, and we've already looked at him because he assumed that he would be king, and he tried to overthrow his father with a coup, and ultimately Joab, remember David's nephew, because David had a sister, a half-sister, named Zeruiah, and Zeruiah had uh, three sons. Shimei, uh, I think it was uh, Shimei, Abishai, and Joab. uh, um, Actually, I got that wrong, but he, she had three sons anyway. And, and Joab was one of them, and Joab became the general of David's army, but Joab was the one who ultimately killed Absalom. And so now we have this fourth son, and it says, And the fourth son of, uh, of David was Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and, um, and, and the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ithream, by Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David, in Hebron. But now he is the fourth son, and now that Absalom is dead, now that David is getting much older, uh, Adonijah is thinking to himself, Well, I'm the next in line. It's only natural for me to be king once my father's died, d- dead. And he's just looking at his watch, waiting for his dad to kick the bucket so he can hop on the throne, right? But notice what it says uh, about this young man. It says that he exalted himself, and he said, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And and doing this kind of thing basically is showing to everyone around that I am an important person and I this is what kings would do. And now he is showing himself, showing himself to be king. David did not... There's nothing ever spoken that he was going to be the heir to the throne. Because we know that David had six sons when he was in Hebron, but it also says that when, and he only ruled Hebron for seven years, but when he moved to Jerusalem, it says that he had more sons and daughters. And of course, or sons anyway, and daughters, but he had more sons, and certainly Solomon was one of those. 
And while it is true that Adonijah seemed to be the heir apparent to the throne, God had a different plan, and we'll look more at this when we get to verse 13 later on in the chapter. But does this kind of heart, does this kind of attitude sound familiar to you? I will be king. (laughs) He exalted himself. I will be king. Who does that sound like to you? Well, yeah, it could, maybe, but you know who it really sounds like is Satan. Do you remember what it said in Isaiah 14? You might want to write that in your margin of your Bible. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Remember what um, Isaiah, God was speaking through Isaiah, and speaking to the power behind the throne of of the king of, of Babylon. And he says, For you have said in your heart, Oh, excuse me, let me start at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? So God is speaking to the the power behind this king. And it wasn't the king himself. He was addressing the power behind his throne. Because every throne has a power behind it. It's either evil or it's of God. And Babylon's uh, didn't start off that way. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar got saved, I believe, later on in his, uh, right before his, uh, you know, at the end of his career. But He didn't start off so well. But notice what God is is dressing the power behind his throne. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Sorry, I got this in the King James, so I apologize for that. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. And, And notice, I will ascend into heaven. That's the first one. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then I will be like the Most High. And God replies to him, Yet you shall be brought low down to hell to the sides of the pits. So here's a very proud angel, Lucifer, we know, is the, the shining one, the light bearer. And this same heart is in the, the same attitude is in the heart of Adonijah, who boasted of himself, exalted himself, and notice he prepared the chariots and, and the horsemen and 50 men to run before him. We've seen this before with his brother, his uh, younger brother. Absalom, it tells us in Samuel, 2 Samuel 15. Speaking of Absalom, it says, After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. So really nothing new here. What um, Adonijah saw his brother do, he decides to do himself. After all, he got really close to overthrowing his father's kingdom. And now Adonijah's thinking, you know, isn't it sad? <laughs> A couple things are sad about this whole thing as we read it. Number one, David didn't tell, everybody didn't know who the heir apparent was. There was always a mystery. And, and there were a few people, I believe, that knew it, knew it. And it was David and Bathsheba at the very least. But David waited until the very end of his life. I mean, he could have had a heart attack, he could have had a seizure, he could have had anything... And his kingdom would have been in a complete shambles. And there would have been a great power fight between his remaining sons. You know, why did he wait that long? You know, David was a wonderful man, but there's some things about David, and and, and not to be too critical of him, but, you know, it it is true that he he was kind of, uh, he didn't hold his sons accountable. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.